Welcome to the Initiate Splinter Sequence Podcast. We're your hosts, Chinlin and Isaac, and we're here to talk about the hit sci-fi time travel show, Twelve Monkeys, created by showrunners Terry Metalis and Travis Fickett. And oh my god, you're listening to a podcast about the last episodes of a TV series. What made you think there wouldn't be spoilers? Let's get started with the recap. We find out that the only way to save the world is to erase James Cole. Yeah, so says them. I'm not sure I agree. Let's save that for later. <laughs> Jones is having a flashback of when she when she and her team finds the time machine in the Project Splinter facility and she comes she comes across Ethan who basically tells her to save the one and she didn't know what he meant then but thinking on it now she knows that she has to find a way to save cole somehow i'm actually sure that for most of that time period between 2037 and 2043 she probably thought that was a hallucination she had because he just appeared and then disappeared and no one else ever like mentioned seeing him well wait wait wasn't she the only person in the room at the time right so that would make her think, okay, so no one else saw him. I'm not sure that I saw him because I didn't see him enter the room. And I certainly didn't see him exit the room. I may have hallucinated that. Yeah, but she saw Ethan last season. Right. And that's why I said for most of the time. At some point, she eventually went, oh, that's the guy? <laughs> <laughs> so everyone's like crying and stuff cassie's all upset as usual i didn't just kill seven billion people just so that we have to erase james cole she definitely said something to the sentiment of i don't want to trade one life for seven billion when seven when the one is worth so much more and i'm like well wow okay you didn't even know most of those seven billion people but somehow james cole is magically worth more than all of them Cole comes up with a plan because it takes the end of the world for him to come up with a plan. They're going to take Titan. And uh, Cassie comes up with the idea for him to go back and grab Ramsey from the night that he shoots him back in season three. And I actually really liked the idea of having him back with the team because he was always there from the beginning, despite all the shit that went down in the first two seasons. But so that kind of brings up like, if you can use the vest to do that, to grab him moments before his death, right? You could use the vest to go grab everybody moments, weeks, days, months before their deaths. And have everyone, but they don't do that. They accomplish the same thing in a similar manner, but I don't see why we couldn't have, say, grabbed Deacon while he was just, like, waiting out in uh, 1491 for them to show up at that one guy's house. He'd be like, hey, um, I need you, and uh, I'm going to return you back. So, you know, just be cool about it. Jennifer drinks the red tea. She goes to the house to gloat to Olivia, basically to r rattle her cage and bait her. So that Olivia will show up with Titan uh, where the Splinter team is instead of the Splinter team trying to have to find Titan. Yep. And Cole and Ramsey do some talking, bonding, whatever you want to call it. They go get his dad's old 
car from storage. I don't remember the year that it was when Cole's dad put it in storage, but I was surprised it ran like it was brand new. Well, okay, so and as soon as they showed up to that car, that was actually my first comment. I'm like, what are you guys going to do? The gas in that car is done for. Like, uh, you're going to have to go find some new gasoline. And to this show's credit, I mean, they did a cutaway for it, but they seemed to understand that people would think that and... Ramsey says something along the lines of it does it's not the age of the parts it's the gas in the tank and presumably they changed out the gasoline in the tank during the uh cut that happens thereafter they drive the car straight into titan and cole sets off a bomb and uses his vest to time travel him and Ramsey out of the car when the bomb goes off and Jones splinters their facility inside Titan and disrupts their towers so that Olivia can't splinter Titan out to escape. Cole and Ramsey then try to take out the power station and Cassie and Jennifer are going for the mainframe where they're taking the primary code to use Titan's systems to process it because Team Splinter doesn't have that sort of computing power to go through all the primary code because they said that it would take like three and a half years to do all of it. The Dodgers are back. Well, they've always been there, but like on screen, we see more of them this time. They're back to protect the time machine. Yep, they do. I mean, well, they don't, but... What do you mean they don't? It was was usable in the next episode. Uh, I mean... They're there to protect it, but they, they don't particularly succeed in that endeavor. Okay, so at the beginning of the episode, they essentially tell the audience, we have to destroy James Cole. And, okay, you're telling us that, fine, we'll believe it. But I, I really just, I feel that saying that James Cole is the demon is is just as problematic as saying that Olivia is the demon. Again, like, we have... Uh, two choices either james is the demon or or, and by we have two choices i mean the writers present us with two choices james is the demon or olivia is the demon or seemingly that way and uh they push olivia hard and then they switch it on us and give us cold but i really feel like the demon in this case is not necessarily the person that's created through time travel and creates these loops it's the time travel itself it's the invention of time travel so Killing Elliot and Katarina Jones before they invent time travel would be the solution to this problem. Like once they no longer invent time travel, then you don't have you don't have anyone going back in time and making time go insane by looping back on itself. If they had killed Elliot and Katarina, you wouldn't have Cole, you wouldn't have Ramsey, you wouldn't have their sons. You wouldn't have any of it. It's just like nothing that's time travel related would have happened. Meaning, I mean, this show would have been boring. <laughs> that's basically it. I honey. mean, yeah, I, I guess I'm like that because that's the the simple solution is go pop them when they're both children. Done. No one cares. Everything's good. I mean, you could say the same thing about when they went back to Nazi Germany and killed Hitler. Didn't necessarily stop the Nazi movement. It, it's true. It didn't. And then you've got this weird causality problem of, you know, okay, I stopped them from inventing time travel, but that means that as soon as I do it, like, that I couldn't exist to then do it, 
because I came back through time travel. I get why the writers then went with this idea of uh, the primary is designing some sort of machine to erase someone from existence so that their time travel shenanigans could be undone. But I mean, you could do the same thing to Jones and, and or to Elliot and Katarina. I don't know why it had to be Cole. Though, in retrospect, it being Cole is much easier because he is only born because of time travel, whereas the other two existed without time travel. So it's more murder than just simply not being ever. Okay, that's that's my rant on uh, on it being Cole as the demon. It, Cole being the demon is fine. I just that's not where I would have taken. Yeah, your theory was originally Olivia, and then you went to Jones being the demon because she did invent time travel. Right, and when I reflect on it further, I'm like, well, Elliot made time travel too, so I, yeah, both of them. And really, the whole solution is to. Use this machine on anyone that ever starts trying to research time travel because uh, it'll just happen again in the future later (laughs) if the technology is uh, possible, right? Someone will eventually come up with it and then you'll, you know, obviously get a reboot of the show. On to episode 11? Yes, sure. Episode 11 uh, or the second half of the series finale, however you want to talk about it. We have essentially a, a boss fight between Olivia and Cassie. So Jennifer and Cassie are using Titan to extract their code or compile their code, however you want to say it. I, I mean, as a programmer, it, it's hard for me to suspend disbelief on this. So I'm, I'm just going <sighs> to breathe deep and let it go. It's fine. Somehow Jennifer wrote out by hand something that took three and a half years to compile. Yeah, that makes sense. Anyway, no, my my real problem here, though, is the this fight between Olivia and Cassie. Olivia immediately knocks out Jennifer. No problems with that. Makes sense. Uh, we've been told that Olivia has been genetically engineered to have, like, super strength. So, awesome. I get it. Jennifer's down for the count. Probably some mild amount of brain damage from the severe concussion she just received. But then Cassie is fighting with Olivia and punching Olivia and Olivia seems to I don't know actually be knocked back by these blows and it just it doesn't make any sense and then (sighs) Olivia is uh is actually winning as you would expect from someone with superhuman strength uh, versus someone that is merely average strength and Cassie surprises her by stabbing her in the leg okay cool like that That that's good But then, out of nowhere, Cassie gets this superhuman strength and starts, like, pummeling the crap out of Olivia. And I'm not sure where she got this, where she got this, uh, this strength from. Like, it doesn't make any sense. Cassie somehow wins this fight and then has a chance to, uh, turn off the machine via a big red button in the center that says stop. Or actually doesn't say stop. It's just a big red button. She hesitates. Olivia is not really down for the count. Okay, so I'm all right with that. And Olivia starts trying to kill Cassie again and then just gets unlucky. Cole and Ramsey do succeed in their mission to blow up the generator, the power, one of the generators, 
that's powering Titan. Unfortunately, Titan has already drawn all the power that it needs, and so it's kind of a pointless endeavor, except that it sends the tower above the power source to start like spinning wildly, and that just so happens to catch the top half of Olivia right as she's about to like murder Cassie and send the top half of Olivia somewhere in time which we find out is the Himalayas in like 829. So that's cool. I'm glad they showed us that and showed us that she was the source of the the virus. Again, not where I thought they were going and not how I would have wanted to write it myself. But Originally, me- you thought the torso was cold. Was cold. And so my, my real question is like, so in season one, Cole approaches the torso and starts having a reaction like he is about to cause a paradox. We're given all the audience is given all these clues that something paradoxy is about to happen as he gets close to it. We're given all these cues that yes, that is Cole. And then, you know, they just go, nah, that's not Cole. So then my question is, why did he have that reaction in season one? Why wasn't it just like his reaction to Olivia, which is nothing? I wish we could ask the showrunners because that's just that's just left unanswered. Right. Like, was it was unless unless it was a hiccup, like a continuity mistake? Maybe, maybe, maybe they when they started the show, they didn't know that they were going to end the... Yeah, they may have thought that they were going to go with with Cole being a torso and then later went, nah, we want to have a happier ending and so did that instead. Yeah, I could see that. Um, Or it could have been the... I don't know who directed that episode of season one. It could have just been the director deciding that they wanted it to seem mysterious and I don't know. That could have been you? What did you think of Olivia ending up being the source of the virus? Because I was kind of confused about that. I don't know. I thought it it made sense to like, me. Like, I get she had genetic mutations. Mm-hmm. If she was the source of the virus, that means she was the carrier her whole life. Mm-hmm. And so she was immune to... Right, because of they actually kind of mentioned this in the last episode. Because they were like, uh, we know the we know the virus mutates again. That's why everyone's dead in twenty one sixty three, right? So she has a souped up immune system, so she's got the virus, but it's not killing her necessarily, right? Her body is just fighting it off. So she's infected, essentially, and then she's sent back in time with the most mutated form of the virus. The virus does its own weird thing where it cycles back to itself. Like, it's this one thing in her body, and then the scientists extract it and change it up a bit. And then when it's released, it mutates a few more times to where it then becomes what it eventually started out as. At least that's my interpretation. I mean, Terry Metallus, you can tell me I'm wrong if you want. I won't stop you. That's also creepy because it wasn't just... Like, it was her torso, but, like, her arms were also splintered off. Uh, well, her left arm was splintered off, and the bottom part of her right arm. Hmm. Uh, it, I, <laughs> it just it, looked so creepy. Like, it was very well done. If any of you have ever played Final Fantasy VII, like, I always thought of her looking like Genova from that game, uh, which was another, like, torso-like thing that was kept in uh, sort of a cryogenic stasis. That's what it. I always hearken back to every time I remember it, and I always wanted to call it Genova, and I stopped myself every time on this podcast. I'm like, uh, the torso 
corpse thing arm because I didn't want to say Genova, but I'm saying it now just because some of you might have played Final Fantasy. Okay, after um, after we have this boss fight and everything, and Olivia's splintered back in time, then Titan just keeps doing its thing and kind of sort of destroys part of itself, but not super bad. There's just a thin layer of rock covering the doorway between Cassie and nothing, and then Cole is trying to get Cassie to press the button, and she's thinking, nah, I don't want to. I like this idea of eternity. And somehow, Cole is able to sprint up there in like two minutes... Which, I mean, he has got to be the most fit guy ever because that tower is tall as fuck. It's got to be like, I don't know, 20, 20 stories? Yeah, 20 stories. Like, you're, you're talking like 40 flights of stairs here. And he's like, nah, I got it. two minutes. No problem. Also, I didn't start at the base. I like I had to run to get there. Anyway, somehow he makes it uh, with at least a minute to spare and the and. Olivia is splintered off with like three minutes to spare. He, he makes it there and he makes a plea like, you know, we can have forever, we can have now, and I don't know, somehow he convinces her to press the stop button. Yeah, he was, his case was that if we had forever, nothing would be meaningful. Yeah, yeah. The point of time, death, is that we have now, our time together is meaningful, and then there's the end. Right. And he had actually already tried to make this argument once before. He took her to the beach and showed her a sunset. And he's like, you know why the sunset has meaning? is because, or why the sun has meaning? is because it sets. Like, there's an end to it. And if there wasn't an end... You it, just have day, 24-7. Yeah. So she eventually presses the stop button. So, hooray, crisis averted, uh, the Red Forest is not going to happen, and now they have all the time that they need to get their affairs in order and figure out how to send themselves back into the past to make sure that these loops happen exactly as they happened in the previous parts of the show, so that they will then arrive at this final answer of, we need to destroy coal. It's essentially uh, just a lot of, you know, tearful goodbyes from uh, all the major cast members uh, in their various roles, which I kind of liked. I mean, I like happy endings. So, I mean, these people are all off to go do their thing and it's all sort of bittersweet, but they also all know that they're not going to exist in this capacity if everything works out right. So it'll be fine. So just to clarify, uh-huh. when they when they splinter to go back to their, their separate lives. Mm hmm. They understand that if everything goes well, they're not going to remember right. that they lived this life. Right. That's the whole point. This life won't ever have existed. I'm asking because Cassie does remember. Right. And that's like, I don't understand why she does remember. Because that's what happens next is like, um, we start seeing like what people were doing now that the timeline has been reset. And Cassie is somehow remembering stuff from this time loop that she was in, but not necessarily all of it, but... She gets in the car after her lecture when we see her in episode one, season one. Yeah. And that's when she and Cole first met. Right. She looks in her rear view mirror and she's like, something's not there. Which is a strange feeling to have, but my question is, why does she have this feeling? And... I suppose they're trying to say that love transcends time and that sort of crap, but I don't I don't like it. I just I don't like it. 
You don't like that, that they had a happy ending? I, I do like that they had a happy ending. I, well, I do you, and I don't. She had to remember Cole so that she could yeah, eventually buy uh, the house. See, yeah, and I don't like that. I don't like any of that. Like, Why not? Because I feel like she could have had a happy life without Cole. Yeah, but the whole reason why she wanted to be in the Red Forest was to be with Cole forever. Right. Love never dies. <laughs> I, yeah, I guess. Even if you try to erase someone. <laughs> I don't know. Like, I think she could have had a happy life without Cole. Um, Do you think it was cheesy that she remembered Cole? I think it was heavy-handed, like, to force them to get back together. I like the other the other ending stuff that we saw. I like that we saw the Joneses and their daughter. That was cool. Lasky and Adler um, still meeting up and looking like they're longtime friends. Like that's okay. Yeah. I just didn't like like the whole point was that James Cole can't exist, and even like James Cole's own argument is like for it to have meaning, there essentially has to be sacrifice or an end, and. If he's if he sacrifices himself and creates the right timeline, okay, great. But then to like bring him back, have him show up and have Cassie like just immediately be in love with him. I don't know. I didn't like it. I I did like it. I liked that they were happy, but I didn't like that it seemed a little like Deus Ex Machina to like force them to get back together. I mean, they had a reason, and it wasn't a reason that. Uh, it just appeared out of nowhere. They had Jones reprogram the device to plop uh, James back out in time somewhere. But I feel like everything would still be broken if he exists. Well, it, we were hinted that at the beginning of episode 10 with Ethan. Right. Save the one. Yeah. I mean, so I think that when he said that to me, that was just him advocating for his own existence. Because if Cole doesn't exist, he doesn't exist. Yeah, but when was Ethan ever selfish? I mean, yeah, that's true. But from Ethan's timeline, the question is, when did he make that jump? Like, when did he make that trip? We don't know. It had to be before he met James and Cassandra, right? As a couple, anyway. Probably after he met them individually. But the only reason he makes the jump, I to me, is because he's primary and sees the pattern and goes, oh... If he doesn't exist, I don't exist. That's why I thought he was making that argument. Overall, I feel like the series finale wrapped up pretty much everything other than some of the few questions that we had. Okay, yeah. So, like the one about why Cole reacted the way he did to the corpse. My only other question is, who invented the vest, the time-traveling vests? And why were there only four or five and not four or five hundred? Well, we know that the first time we saw the vests were in season three with the four horsemen guardians. Uh-huh. And so I guess we can just assume that the witnesses people came up with it. I mean, they lived in Titan. They had all this technology. Uh-huh. And if they had all this technology, so this is kind of really the crux of the problem. You can make only four and you can have only four. That's fine if what is required to make them only exists in future times on Titan, right? And is incredibly rare. But if they can be repaired in the past, that means their design cannot be that intricate. The materials would have been readily available on Titan, so you can make a bunch of them. My argument is the only piece that needed repair that Ethan wanted repaired was that 
that golden cir- ring, circle ring thing that he kept going to the shop owner mm-hmm. saying, try again, try again. It right. was a piece of metal. Uh-huh. Like, it wasn't actually the other more intricate parts. Okay, and if that's the case, then he didn't really need the piece of metal that much. Like, it would have just been like a mechanical switch. And He needed it to turn properly, to turn it on. It would have connected to something that he could have just turned via another mechanism. Like, eh, no, I don't, I don't buy it. And still, who, now, who had the understanding of time travel that was great enough to be able to make those vests because the only other person that in 2163 that had good time travel knowledge was olivia's daughter and she didn't show up till super late i'm not as nitpicky as you are but you're more you look for that stuff more than well i I like really fleshed out worlds and it bothers me with inconsistencies like like i really like harry potter but I think that they don't have a very good economic system, and I don't understand how they have a functioning society at all. You could save that for another podcast. <laughs> I was just saying that's that's how I am. So back to 12 Monkeys. What was one of your favorite things about the show? So um, now that it's over, you can reflect. Favorite on. things about the show. Okay, I do like time looping episodes. Um, Where they kind of go in circles and realize yeah, where they, they caused the problem that they were trying to solve. Uh-huh. Particularly where they repeat uh, the same sequence over and over again but in different ways. So there's that episode in season 2 where they were trying to kill Jones. Uh, I like episodes like that. Uh, Stargate SG-1 did an episode like that that I also really liked. Um, it's a it's common theme in, uh, in sci-fi shows to have a time loop episode. I generally like them. There's that actually this there's an episode I think it was yeah it was this season the one with the pallid faced man in the Emerson Hotel where Cassie has to avoid herself. Oh, are you talking about the episode with Christopher Lloyd? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I really liked that one. Uh, I definitely liked that episode. I thought it was uh, really well done with the with the concentric loops and uh, trying to like av- avoid yourself. I thought it was very Back to the Future esque, and I I really liked that one one of my favorite episodes was definitely the season finale of season two where we get that big reveal of cassie being pregnant with the witness or who we thought was the witness at the time that one was actually disappointing to me because that was when i realized it was her child and i up to that point i had always wanted either cole or cassie themselves to be the witness and them having been working against themselves this whole time. I thought that would have been a really good a really good uh, plot element. But Terry writers... Metalis, take some notes for your next show. <laughs> I doubt it. <laughs> it's going to be like, no, I'm, I'm done with time travel. Yeah. Um, oh, I remember something else I liked. The episode in season three, they go back to the 80s for the auction. Yeah, Jennifer was in charge of that mission. They all went back posing as someone, and Jennifer posed as her own mother. Right. And then she had that meeting with her younger self. Now, see, that's what I didn't like about that episode. I'm like, what? How? We're like complete opposites when it comes to this show. (laughs) It's like, how are you talking to yourself and not like, I feel like verbal paradoxes should be a thing too. And uh, this would have definitely caused that. 
Anything else you liked before we wrap up? Um, anything else that I liked about this show? I think season one was probably my favorite of the four. They had a, a more clear goal in mind. I also feel like the enemy that they set up in season one felt more real. I expected, I don't know, I expected a, a much larger and more organized army of the 12 monkeys, I guess, than what it what ended up being. I want to give a quick shout out to some of my favorite guest stars of the show. I thought I thought the show had really good guest stars coming in and out. So I really liked James Callis as Ethan, Christopher Lloyd for coming back as Mr. Shaw, and Hannah Waddingham as one of the four guardians in season three. She was best known for playing the nun in Game of Thrones, the one who always said shame. I really liked seeing those three on the show. Awesome. Thank you so much for listening. This episode concludes our podcast. Uh, You can follow us on Facebook and Instagram at geekgals.co. You can also follow us on Twitter at geekgalsco, no dot there. And we are happy to take questions. You can email us at contact at geekgals.co. Thanks for listening. Bye.